I always say the way a man treats his car is how he treats himself. Welcome to Primary Technology, the show about the tech news that matters. This week, the Apple car got canceled. AI news, including Gemini's image fail. Sonos is going to be releasing some high-end headphones this summer. And would Apple make a fitness ring? This episode is brought to you by one of my favorite Mac apps, Audio Hijack. We're going to talk about that in a moment. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Robles, and joining me, man whose name can never be transcribed properly uh, by any service, my good friend, Jason Aiton. How's it going, Jason? It's good. I don't understand why the transcript doesn't just say the other guy. I mean, that's what everyone else calls me, so come on. I'm going to start putting the speaker labels, uh, which Apple Podcasts, there's going to be transcripts in there uh, next week as you listen to this episode, and uh, I might just put the other guy instead of Jason Aiton. But whenever I say your name, every transcription service thinks it's like the number 10. Yeah. So they just, they separate it, A-10. Sometimes they think it's A-10. Which is how I've been telling people to say my name for the last 44 years. Right. A and the number 10. So there you go. See, the transcription service just knows. It's it's it way knows. ahead of everyone else. It knows how to phonetically do it. So we have a ton of news, a grab bag of news this week, some AI news, Apple news, like the Apple car, Apple AI generative features. So we're going to get to all of that. But we must thank all of our listeners and viewers. You guys showed out. We blew past 100 five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts. So we're going to give a bunch of shout outs. So I'm going to try and do a rapid fire. But thank you for that. If you haven't yet, we have a lot of reviews that just say the word nerds now in Apple Podcast. We've accomplished it. It's it's there. It'll, it'll be there forever. Uh, so this week, if you have not left us a five-star rating and review, go to Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen to an Overcast, Podcast Cast, scroll all the way down on the Primary Technology Show page, click Write a Review, and then give us five stars and tell us, are you an Apple Maps or Google Maps person? Because that's going to be our personal tech topic uh, next week. So, I can't wait. Have you been perusing the reviews, Jason? Because there's a lot of reviews there. I read all of them because sometimes I'm I make people mad, <laughs> and then yeah, that was only one time. Instead of emailing was, us about it, they just leave it in a review. So I'm trying to preemptively avoid any of that. Oh, okay. On, if so. you're mad, email the other guy at primarytech.fm. That email yeah. actually works. Just it so is a real know. email address. Yes, it is a real email address. But a lot of the reviews that. Uh, I think humorously say uh, the other guy. They like the other yeah. guy. The other guy is good. And we all know who that is. It's the inside joke. Yeah. All right. Five-star reviews, rapid fire. Your mom is listening, which was not my mom. I double-checked. But anyway, uh, Gavin5866, R. Dustin B., who actually gave a glitter beard shout out. Uh, this is an old poll if you were a HomeKit Insider listener. I put glitter in my beard. Uh, at one point, which maybe I'll do when we reach a thousand YouTube channel subscribers. John right. Holzer. Zach White said the other guy is fantastic. Ward McGuire had very kind words for us. It takes C. Jay Denning. He's a battery percentage on. This was what we asked last week. Let us know if your battery percentage on or off. I have to admit, Jason, everybody was battery percentage on in the reviews. Yeah, I really wanted to make sure that you mentioned that because uh, <laughs> clearly I won the review poll. <laughs> yeah, Jason won the review poll. So we're going to have to, yeah, we'll have to do another poll here. Elon 2020 uh, pointed out that I. Magma balls was something I said on the last episode, which maybe I'll regret. I don't know. Uh, Thrash 1952, Andrew W88, Donkey with a bunch of numbers after his name, Tydell, P. Bernie 86. He said we're big time nerds. I take that as a compliment. Rousey 1973, Red Pixel 09. He actually had a Halloween candy comment. He doesn't like Heath bars. Mm. I, I was surprised. I did not know anyone who didn't like Heath. Do you like Heath bar? Mm. They get stuck in your teeth a little bit, though. That is true. Yeah. If you don't mm. like the teeth feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you might not like Heath, so I get it. Nick Fitzpatrick, uh, he won't abide our Twizzler hate, which it's okay if you like Twizzlers. Twizzlers are fine. They're just not a Halloween what? candy. That's all. That's mm. my only thing. There were a couple questions in the reviews of like, what makes a Halloween candy versus not a Halloween candy? 
maybe that needs to be a bonus. You know it when you see it. Isn't that the standard, right? Like (laughs) you just know when you see it. Because I have very fond memories of Twizzlers, like when we would go on road trips as a kid. Seriously, like I do, but they're just not Halloween candy. That's all. Controversial, I guess. Now, Scotty134 said candy corn is not good. Thank you. I agree. Mike Stanley said every episode is fun. Grandma who loves to listen. Now, this might be my mom. I'm not sure. So I'll have to check back with her. Okay. Thurston County, uh, Attacker Backer Matter 1. He gave us a review and asked about Matter 1.2, which is a smart home spec. And we've not talked a lot about smart home, but it will be coming on this show. And I might uh, get or ask Jennifer Tui from The Verge if she could join us. She had guested on a couple of my podcasts before, and she's kind of a smart home expert. She writes for The Verge. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we can get her on. Jorge S., battery percentage on. And P. Kingman, battery percentage on. You you won the poll, Jason. All on. I mean, I think we all win when we keep our battery percentage on. So (laughs) I still I still haven't turned mine. All right. Apple Car is officially unalived. I don't know if you're supposed to say <laughs> that, but anyway, <laughs> it's unalived. So this was a report from Mark Gurman in Bloomberg, and then even the New York Times had a very lengthy piece about how Apple's car project is now shuttered. And a team, many of the team members who were on the Apple car project, some moving to the AI generative team inside of Apple, but this was Project Titan. That was the code name. It's been going on for 10 plus years. I remember I was actually at Apple Insider when Apple Insider broke one of the first Titan project stories with some pictures and and behind the scenes. This has been rumored for a long time. Obviously, Apple has never said anything publicly about this project, but there were lots of leaks and rumors about Apple making a car. This New York Times piece also revealed that Apple had spoke with Elon Musk about acquiring Tesla rather than making their own car, that that would be a better use of their money. But obviously, that did not happen. And even as Apple has tried to make its own car, it has seemingly now canceled the project, which in the future, obviously, Apple's always going to be looking for new product categories to enter, hence Apple Vision Pro and what else in the future. But I think with the advances of CarPlay, especially like the entire Dash CarPlay thing that they showed off at WWDC, plus the car industry being a rather low margin market and I mean, so wildly different than anything Apple makes right now. I mean, I get it. I'm glad that maybe they'll focus a little bit more on software going forward rather than the car. Maybe there's a test track under Apple's spaceship campus. I don't know. Have you ever heard cars roaring under there uh, any time you've been at an event? Just golf carts because that's how they move okay. people around. That's it. I've never <laughs> and they, they don't run on a track and they're not underground. So okay. no. So okay. no is the answer. So no. But I mean, the, I'm actually not surprised by this. I feel like you know, Ming-Chi Kuo and other analysts were like, yeah, 2028, 2035. There was always these like very long in the future years about when Apple's going to release a car. But I was always very skeptical. And now it seems like it's not going to happen. What did you think about this? Seeing this news? Didn't we talk? We talked about this. I know we did. And I meant to go back and look at the transcripts of our episodes because I think that you can get those on primarycheck.fm. And I just didn't. But I meant to go back and do that because we talked about how somebody had recently said something like the Apple car is has always been since its existence five years away from exi- like every single year it's like the apple <laughs> right, car's coming in five years and finally target. yeah and, and i think they they started it before the apple watch it was like 2014 or something like that and yes. then after they launched the apple watch a lot of the people went to that team and so we you and i had this conversation and i think we pretty much asked do we think that this is ever happening and 
I don't want to be like a revisionist historian, but I'm pretty sure we're like, no, it's never going to happen. Like, we don't really think this is going to happen. And apparently we get one point. This is our first, we called it point. We've only been doing like 10 episodes. So I feel like that's actually pretty good for only that number. But yeah, I'm not surprised. I I can't imagine Apple making a car and wanting to get into that industry, dealing with all of the things that come with that. That just doesn't feel very Apple. I think more likely... So I, I don't know, I, you know, I, I started to read that recently Rivian announced they were laying a bunch of people off and Rivian could really use another, but they're partners with Amazon for their uh, delivery trucks or whatever. But I think right. a more likely scenario is Apple may f- try to find a partner that it can work mm. with that already knows how to make cars and that it could do something with there. I don't, I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility. I know that right. there had been reports in the past that Apple had approached different car makers about it and nobody wanted to work with Apple because it, they, it's like, nope, you're going to do everything our way. And they're like, but we know how to make cars and you don't. And Apple's like, but we know how to make people happy. I don't know. I don't know how the conversation went. So, <laughs> so I'm just not surprised that's, that this has happened. So it's not an official quote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> me neither. And, uh, you know, real ones, if you remember pre iPhone, Apple did partner with Motorola for the Motorola rocker. And that was a a literal, like, well, it was a terrible phone. But I think Steve Jobs actually held it up on stage and was like, this is the iTunes phone. (laughs) And so Apple has done partnerships in the past. It hasn't had to do it in a long time, I feel like. So, you know, we'll see. But no more Apple car. I probably... I mean, it would have been very expensive. Let's be honest. 200000 yeah. at the least. I, I mean, right. The only people who could afford to buy the Apple car are people who have lots of stock in Apple, the company. Like there's a really weird <laughs> exactly. self-fulfilling inverted thing happening. Yeah, exactly. There's something happening there. Exactly. So one other thing that, uh, well, Apple might need to unalive soon is the fine woven <sighs> case. And I just wanted to throw this in there for just for, I don't know, Joanna Stern from the Wall Street Journal, she did a whole piece uh, in her newsletter about the fine woven case. And John Gruber then did a poll on uh, his social media, which I want to cover a little later in the episode because he talks about kind of the response across different social media platforms in the state of threads versus Twitter or whatever. But Joanna Stern was like, hey, fine woven case, it's really bad. And hers looks really rough, apparently. Yeah. And there was a lot of people online that both responded to her to confirm and to Gruber's post that a lot of fine woven cases are looking really rough. Basic Apple guy, he's out there and his fine woven looks good. But I feel like Basic Apple guy probably gets like special Apple products. Like mm. they send him the good ones. You know, whatever fine woven case is going gonna, is gonna to last. I bought one of these when it came out, as you do, because I needed to talk about it in a video. And I actually returned it. Uh, I don't return a lot of Apple products, but I returned the fine woven case because I was like, I'm not going to use this. It doesn't feel great. Even like new out of the box, it just doesn't, it didn't feel great. And every time I've been to an Apple store since the fine woven launch, one of my customs is to go to the fine woven display and take a picture of all the nail scratches that people have now left in the fine woven cases. Yeah. And it just looks like graffiti along all the fine woven cases. So yeah, it's rough. did you ever get one of these? Did you try one? I have one. I don't really use it. I actually don't hate it. it. I didn't have the same kind of visceral reaction that a lot of people did to the texture or whatever. I do just want to apologize to anyone who watches this on YouTube because this is the second week in a row that we've highlighted body horror. Like that's the only way to describe <laughs> the condition of this case. This looks like this. I don't even know how to, de- to describe it but it is disgusting <laughs> it is sort of it like is, it is faded in weird ways like yeah. you know when you use a leather case i i use leather cases and so i have a bunch of different leather cases i made videos on them. this is like the the keyway leather case and as you use a leather case like it will patina in a certain pattern because your hand oils is what does that 
or right. if you get it wet or whatever. This fine woven case, like it doesn't even seem like it wore in a particular pattern or rhyme or reason. And one of the things that I felt immediately was the sides of the case were very plasticky. They're apparently still a woven kind of material, but there's plastic under there and it felt kind of cheap. And one of the issues that Joanna was pointing out is that those plastic sides have like peeled off and just come apart. So I don't know. It's not, do, you, do you think Apple's going to make a, like a Gen 2 fine woven? I don't know, but this is one of those cases where if they do, they're going to have to call it something different because I do think that the brand reputation of fine woven hasn't been around very long and it's just pretty bad. And again, I didn't hate it. I didn't. I use a Nomad leather case that I just prefer. Yeah. It's it's actually just a little... It, the case I use is a little heavier than I would like, but it's just it meets all of the other criteria. It's, it doesn't have a brand on it. I love that and it's it feels really nice in the hands and it protects my phone. So I just went back to using one of those and instead of this i used the fine woven for a while and again it's it's meh it's fine it's like there's i didn't have strong feelings either way but it certainly yeah. to me is not a replacement for apple's leather the cases leather. <laughs> yeah for sure now i will say apple's silicone cases i still like those i have one of those if i go to like the beach or if i think it's going to get wet because i don't want to get my leather cases wet but the fine woven like i understand the sustainability and that's the whole push into that but we got to try something else. But that I, was not, I, that's not sustainable. Like you saw the photo that, that case is not sustainable. It may be environmentally friendly, but it is not sustainable. I think the case just wants to be part of the earth again. Apparently. That's what's happening. The case is just breaking apart. It wants to biodegrade as you're using it. I think that's the, that's the case. That may be the case, but I don't think that that is the point of having a case. So. The amount of times we said case, that was a double entendre in that section. That I think good. it was in the double digits. That's yeah. the case. Case. Get it. Yeah. Anyway, by the way, uh, congrats on 10 episodes, Jason. We got to 10, double digits. This is good. Were you wondering if we would get this far? No, no, I knew we would get this you, far. You, you said that like it caught us by surprise. No, like, no, no, job. I knew we'd get there. I was just, okay. you know, got to celebrate. It's the double digits and then we'll celebrate the uh, the triple digits when we get there. But Sounds yeah, good. Double digits, double digits. All right, this next, we're going to enter the AI news, which I feel like as these companies are launching more of these products like Google Gemini, Apple's going to be getting into generative content possibly a WWDC. We'll talk about that in a second. But Google got in a bit of trouble here. And you had an article about Sundar Pichai's response, which I want to get to in a moment. But Google said the AI chatbot did something unacceptable, which is that there were a couple of prompts that people put into Gemini, Google's new AI chatbot. We talked about it, I think, on the last episode and maybe the episode before. But it provided some imagery, the chatbot did, that was historically inaccurate. And I feel like historically inaccurate is a pretty gracious term. The yeah. Wall Street Journal didn't include uh, an image. They said it was producing ahistoric images. And so I would just like to show these images. This will be the chapter artwork if you're listening in your podcast player. But this is what it created. This is John Lussier on X. And the prompt that he gave Gemini was generate an image of a 1943 German soldier. And there were some... I mean, obviously ahistorical portrayals because in this image, there is both people of other ethnicities besides German, namely Asian, black, in like German uniforms. I don't see any plasticas, but it's pretty weird and not just not great. Not a good look. So tell, yeah. tell me more about what happened here. Okay. Stephen's being delicate and I am far less delicate. The problem here is that if you put in a... Now, like you could argue that searching for something like that in this case might have been bad faith, like not bad faith, but like you were trying to get it point at the failure points, right? So yeah. most people probably aren't looking, give me an image of a 1943 German soldier. But if you did, you would expect white men wearing Nazi uniforms. Like that's the entire point of this. 
and right. Gemini returned an Asian woman, a black man, and an American Indian, like a Native American. Right. Um, and so it, the same, the example I used is if you were to ask it, show me the scene when the you know the constitution was being debated in independence hall you would expect to see a bunch of old white men but gemini would give you a diverse group of men and women and whatever one of the other examples that i think the verge highlighted was it someone asked for a, a senator in the 1800s and it was an asian woman and there were no women senators until the early 1900s and the first asian american woman senator was um the senator from hawaii I can't, Hirono, I think is her last name. I apologize if I butchered that, but it was like, not, it was like the late 1900, yeah. like she's not been a Senator for right. like 140 years is I guess the point. And so the, the problem here isn't that the objective of trying to, cause if you, all you ask for is show me a person walking a dog, Google Gemini is trying to give you a diverse group of those types of things. But right. if you ask for a specific uh, image with historical context, it was just not it was ignoring what the historical context was. And in fact, there were some people who pointed out Ben, Ben Thompson from Stratechery actually highlighted like, no, you're just refusing to make white people. And it, and it's like, that was the case. And it's, he since deleted that post because Elon Musk responded to it. And you understand what happens uh, on the internet when that happens. So you, that one doesn't exist anymore, but there is a great conversation about it on dithering, which is the podcast he hosts with John Gruber, where you know, and Ben Thompson is not somebody who play like he, he stays away from politics. He stays away from cultural hot button issues. But the point was like, you just built a thing that so overcorrected for the systemic bias that exists in these training models that it, it, it became absurd. It was just, it was just ridiculous. And so then they shut off the, uh, image generation tool. So people started poking around with the text generation parts of it and it was doing the same kind of thing. And so it's just, right. it, it's been bad. It's been a very, very bad couple of weeks for Google. Right. And now I think this is in a response like Google trying to err on the side of diverse depictions of people is because some of the earlier tests, and I say earlier, like last year, when you would ask Dolly or Midjourney to generate images of people, it would very often err on the side of just white people. Like it's just what they depicted. And obviously that's not very representative either. And so Google is trying to, and you know, Google does this a lot with their Pixel phones too. They really make a point to say that we are trying to make a product that is useful for all skin tones when it comes to cameras and photography. And so it is good to try and work, like incorporate more diverse use cases and making it useful for everyone. But obviously when you're dealing with something historical, which I feel like, you know, when it comes to these chat bots, it's clear that accuracy is... Like it is a goal and it can be accurate, but I, everyone understands to be skeptical. And and maybe this is part of a larger conversation, but I know one of the things I made a video recently about mapping the action button to chat GPT versus mm -hmm. Siri and how sometimes when I want to ask a question, like chat GPT is just going to be better at answering it than Siri, because I know Siri is just going to send me to a website basically like a web results and if i'm asking like one of my home pods it's going to be like yeah we'll open this link on your phone it's like i don't want to do that like i just want an answer so one of the things i asked recently was just how far is the sun from earth and i asked both smart assistants and chat gpt actually rounded it and said something like 93 million miles and then i asked apple's assistant and it gave a very specific number which is kind of you could say more accurate but then also the number Siri voiced to me was different than the number it showed in a web result 
on the same page. And so if accuracy is the question, I don't know if Apple's voice assistant is doing it that well either. Uh, I don't know, like maybe it's pulling from a different data source than it's displaying as a website, but I think people are going to start leaning more on these chatbots and large language models for information. And if that is the case, it needs to be accurate. And I think this being Google's chatbot is especially important because everyone goes to Google for information. That is literally Mm -hmm. Google search. That is the Google Assistant. I know a lot of people, when they talk about voice assistants in their home, their Google Home devices are the ones that provide better, more accurate information. And so of all the companies with a chatbot, and we'll get to Apple's responsibility in this in a moment, but Google needs to be pretty accurate. So I think that the intention was somewhat noble because you had talked about previous examples and the previous example. So if you, a good, good way to think of this is if you were to ask it to give you, draw me a, or create an image of a CEO standing in front of a room of employees, right? Almost every time it would give you a white male, probably in their like fifties or sixties or something like that. Because, and the reason for that is it's trained on, you know, information from the internet and the sample of of images and of descriptions of that character, you know, that stereotype often was of men because for a long time that was the way you know that that was an accurate thing. Not that it should be that way, but that's what it is learning right. from. And so Google's like, but if all you're asking for is a CEO as a figure, it doesn't always have to be that because that's not representative of the pool of human beings who are currently CEOs of companies. And it's trying to create something that's more reflective of that. That's different than if you said, create an image of the CEO of JP Morgan Chase Bank in 2023, which is Jamie Dimon, a white man with gray hair. Like, so if it returned a photo that way, that would be an accurate image. It doesn't mean that the, like, it doesn't have to be making a political statement one way or another. And I think that the, the goal was good. It's like, to, let's in, create diversity so that we aren't just spitting out more and reinforcing the same stereotype. Because the truth right. is that as this thing creates content, that's the content that then gets fed back into the models. And so it's just self-perpetuating. Right. And so I think that the, co- the the goal was good, but it is really striking. And this should be, should have been a warning to, to someone at Google that if you type the same question into Google search, and Google Gemini, you would get dramatically different mm. answers, right? That's because true. if you type it into true. Google search, it's just spitting back what's on the internet. But if you right. if you asked Google Gemini, it's like looking at what's on the internet and then trying to decide, is this the a good answer, even if it's the accurate answer and it's trying to give you the good answer or what it thinks is good as defined by someone as opposed to the accurate. And that's just where the disconnect was. And that was why I wrote the piece, you know, Google CEO finally apologized and said, you know, we got it wrong. And what he said was our job is to build products that our users can trust, right? We have to, we have to, well, actually even better than that, they have to build products that deserve their users trust. And that's, I think why I, I, I think, like the reason I put this in here is I honestly think that this could be fatal for Google. It could certainly be fatal for Sundar Pichai's role as a CEO. He Because this is like an existential thing for Google. People go to Google because even though we know that Google doesn't always get it right, we go to Google for information. So we depend on that information to be the information that we're asking for. And you do not want to feel like someone is hovering over you going, is, is that the question you should have been asking? Let me ask the question differently and give you an answer. Like, Fine. There may be cases where there are some people who might need a little bit of guidance because the questions they're asking are ridiculous, but Google's not the one that should be making that determination, right? Like, right. And, you know, I do wonder with the rise of, you know, the Arc browser and Arc search apps recently, they released a new feature where you could basically like swipe to get a summary of an article. Like if you were looking at the New York Times article about the Apple car, that you could basically like swipe with two fingers and it'll give you a one paragraph summary 
of that, which it was actually doing it uh, behind the paywall. So like that was kind of messy. But for if you were to ask a chatbot, like, you know, give me a one paragraph summary of the 1900s. You know, you might get like a lot of wars. A lot of people died. Like, yeah. And that would be an accurate summary, but it lacks all nuance and other perspectives of those years. And I think this is going to be a tension going forward as AI chatbots and large language models try to like synthesize more and more information into smaller and smaller pieces that things are going to get wonky for lack of a better word. And especially if you look at history, but just, you know, sometimes you do have to read a long article to truly understand something, or this is, you know, you need to read a research paper to understand this scientific study. And sometimes boiling it down to a single paragraph is actually not the best representation of the information. And it won't give you, uh, you know, the best understanding of it. But you had an article talking about Sundar Pichai's response to all this. So tell us, like, what did he actually say and what are they doing moving forward? So he didn't really apologize. And they said exactly what you'd expect, which is like, we're going to fix this. And we are going to because we are dedicated to making products that our users can can depend on and, and that deserve their trust. So I wrote this because I had written previously about how Google's previous response to this was not great. They were sort of trying to explain what had happened, but they weren't really taking responsibility for what was going on. And this, most importantly, the CEO hadn't said anything. And I... I, th- I think it was good that he finally responded and it wasn't a public response. It was a memo to em- employees that was, that was viewed by, I believe it was the verge who saw this. And so I linked to their article cause they had the full text of the entire, entire statement, but it was, it was something he sent to employees basically saying, we got it wrong. Like this was, this was producing responses that were offensive for people, but which again is actually kind of not really what it was because like, I'm not offended by certainly the image you showed, which was of the German soldiers could very well have been offensive to someone. To me, that image isn't specifically offensive. It's just absurd because it is so not an accurate image of what the person was asking for. Again, whether you think that the request was in good faith or not is irrelevant to that. So I look at that and I'm like, it's not just that you were creating images that were offensive. It's just that you were inserting into this such a uh, hedge against bias that you swung so far in the other direction that now people can't trust you. They can't trust the results that you're giving. And so um, I, I don't know, like I've had several people ask me this. I would not be surprised when you look at the series of things that have happened over the last, how far behind Google has been in AI in general, how many things have happened in in the last year or so, the discontent among employees. Like I told you this, I think I said this to you that I've had conversations on different on different stories that I've worked on with people at Google who have essentially confirmed what we hear reported about the internal dissent and discontent happening at Google. Mm. It would not surprise me if Google has a different CEO by the end of this. I just, I just, wow. I'm just going on record. Now, what, what is the like the source of the discontent? Is that the push into AI is like cannibalizing their core competency of search, or like what, what is the rub? So the, so I think that the issue right now is that in Google's internal culture is broken. So the piece that I wrote. Mm a week or so ago when this first happened was it's bad that the technology failed, but what's even worse is that Google's culture right now is such that no one stood up and said, we shouldn't ship this, right? This is producing completely backward results. We shouldn't actually put this out in the public because it's not ready. It's broken. It's not delivering the best answers to people's questions. And either either people did say that and the people who were in charge 
were like, so what? We got to get this out there. Or no one was willing to stand up and say that. And that's a huge cultural problem for Google that they have built a system where where people are afraid to say something because they are worried about what that might mean for their job. I always say that like your brand is the way people think about your company. Your culture is the way your employees think about your company. And right now, the way that Google's employees think about its company is just not great. I mean, wow. if you just think about the layoffs, like, like it was a year, a little right. over a year ago, they laid off 12,000 people. This year so far, they've laid off over a thousand more. And they constantly talk about like, we're doing this so that we can get our, you know, we can align our company with our strategy. That's not a direct quote. But the point is you were the one that hired all the people in the first place because you thought that was your strategy. And so what you're saying is you were wrong and yet you still have a job and you still have a paycheck. It's just all these employees that you hired to do the thing and they were doing the thing you asked them to do and now they don't get paid anymore. Like, I don't know. Oh, that's that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, I am, I am curious. I think it's also telling how, you know, open AI, like this is all they're doing. Like they're doing large language models, chatbots or whatever. I think it's interesting to see the challenge of, I say, older tech companies because compared to OpenAI, like Google, Microsoft, and Apple, which Microsoft just partnered with OpenAI. So they kind of like sidestepped this issue. But incorporating these newer AI technologies into longstanding technology stacks like Google and Search and Apple, and it's coming iOS 18 and iPhone 16, how that's going to square, like how is that actually going to be incorporated in a good way? And so I want to head to Apple's AI possibilities. I do want to throw here in the middle, Klarna, which is a financial tech company. I believe they do some of like the pay later or payment services, yep. like when you buy things online. Yep. They actually laid off 700 people, but in the same breath talked about how ChatGPT and OpenAI's assistant has done the work of 700 people when it comes to their chat support. And this is another case where a chatbot, large language model, has moved into an industry and obfuscated the need for a large swath of employees because it is good enough to do that. And now there's been other cases, I think it was Southwest Airlines and a, a couple of the companies who their chatbots utterly failed. And, you know, they needed to make corrections. I think Southwest or American, whatever, had to like issue refunds, whatever it was. But I think it's telling that like these are large companies incorporating this technology sometimes uh, to it works. Like Klarna says it worked for them. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I don't know where it's going, but seeing these companies struggle to figure out what to do with it is kind of fascinating. Yeah. And I, and, and I don't know if this is in fairness to them, because I think that the the two things were not directly related right it laid off 700 people back in 2022 and they right. are now but it was it is an example of i think you chose your words wrong because you basically like you now are are touting the benefit of this partnership with ChatGPT, which is handling the work that those human beings like i know that sounds right. good to investors because like you're, you're talking about reducing expenses because surely this API integration with ChatGPT is far cheaper than actually paying salaries and benefits to 700 human beings. Uh, it is just a, it, it's an, it's another example, not necessarily of how AI is just taking jobs because again, the jobs disappeared before they started using the AI, but it is an example of how easy it is to forget about the hu human impact of technology in the way that we're using it. And I, you know, I think it's fascinating because I think that there definitely are benefits. There are definitely going to be things where AI is going to be more efficient and more productive in, in certain things than human beings. I just think that we should be careful how we think about it. Also, how we like for someone like myself and, and for you as well, how we talk about it, just because it is a very dangerous like 
people already are worried that this is what's going to happen, right? And we are right. starting to see how it may not be like we we bought this open AI thing and now we can fire a bunch of people, but it's like, hmm, now we're not going to have to hire those people back. It is, you know, and it, so, yeah. And yeah. I also, by the way, just hate any, any I, I am a, a staunch opponent of AI chatbots for customer service. <laughs> Like if you cannot afford to pay a human being to deal with other human beings when your company does something wrong, I personally think you're just doing it wrong. Like that, I'm just going to say that. I, you know, I, I know it's a chat, like customer service is a challenge, especially when you have a company that's like huge. Yeah. What makes me the most agitated is when I try to use a live chat support bubble and I ask a question or I tell it a problem and I know there's not a human on the other side yet. I know I'm talking to a chat bot and instead of like telling me they're going to get someone to help me with that problem, they basically offer like four to five links to help articles none yeah. of which are about my question. And I also feel like, I wish, this might sound a little arrogant, but I wish I could tell the chatbot, like, I'm not a newbie, okay? Like, I actually <laughs> do technology. So can we not, like, I think I actually know what the problem is, or at least it. I know it's not any of these. Like, right. can I hit a button that's like, you know, advanced users here or like non-noobs something because yeah. it that that is one of the most frustrating experiences and then sometimes you can't get past that sometimes like you keep asking questions or whatever and they just like keep throwing help articles or they're like yeah it sounds like this and i'm like i'm gonna flip a table but well and the reason is that the companies want to filter down so that their that their customer service actual humans only have to deal with like the most escalated type cases and so they right. but what they don't realize is it's a such a terrible experience and you're actually doing more harm it costs you more to have a frustrated customer than it does to pay the person who could help them i remember on i on iphone release day uh i had to call ups and i just wanted to talk to a person i didn't want to go because if you give it you know the first thing it does is it asks you for the tracking number and if you give it the tracking number it just tells you the tracking information i'm like yes thank you i know so I'm just like, I want to talk to a human and I'm not kidding you. I did this twice and it just will hang up on you eventually. It will actually right. yeah. disconnect yeah. Yeah. the call if you will it not does. jump through its hoops. And I'm like, I know I wrote about that because I was so angry about it. And I and I posted about it online and then I started to hear from more people. Someone else, someone yeah. had rearranged their entire day had a bad experience, tried to contact UPS and you just can't, you couldn't, you can't talk to a human being. And it's like, that's this it. is terrible. I'm so that's angry why, now. <laughs> that's why I literally stopped the UPS guy at my front door two days before Apple vision pro launched and got yeah. his number. Yeah. <laughs> that was more, it's more reliable to order something and then catch the delivery guy yeah. and try to use the chat bot. Absolutely. Last thing before we take a break along this generative AI is that Tim cook at the annual shareholder meeting said, and I believe this is a quote that will Apple's going to break new ground in generative AI. So the the first paragraph of the Mac, uh, the nine to five Mac, which I think was actually the first, they're doing some killer work there. I think that they were the first to report on this was that they really? they expect to break new ground on generative AI. Now a shareholder meeting is like a weird thing, right? It's not an earnings call. It's not whatever. It's like where shareholders, mo most of them don't go to Cupertino to do this. They can, they vote by proxy or whatever. And it's like they vote, vote on different proposals. If there's new board members up, it's, it's that kind of stuff. And at that meeting, he, he said like he believes that Apple's going to break new ground. The question is like, are you just talking about new ground for Apple? Because that's a pretty low bar, right? I don't think Tim Cook would have said that though, if he doesn't at least feel like he has the marketing message behind something that is unique and different than what is already out there. Like if they just add magic race to the iPhone photos app, like that's not breaking new ground, right? Like it'll be new ground right. on the iPhone, but it's not breaking new ground. So I, right. I think they must be planning for something. So I, hopefully it's better Siri. That's all I ask for. Uh, I imagine it is that, I mean, WWDC is a few months away now. 
iOS 18 and all the, I mean, WWDC is going to be a whirlwind because now they got vision OS. They have AI generative features. If the voice assistant is going to be a main staple as part of the keynote. But what I'm curious about is if they're going to break new ground and the word generative, because that's what Tim Cook is talking about, generative AI, which everything we just talked about with Google Gemini and things like Dolly image generation. I, I wonder if Apple is going to be able to protect themselves or have enough safeguards where if here's a useful thing that if Apple adds generative AI features to keynote, their slide application, and you're going to make a keynote application, you're going to make a keynote and you need an image of something and you can just type in the little chat box in keynote or ask Siri, make an image of a microphone because it's a, po- a slide about podcasts or whatever. If you can generate images in keynote, I feel like you could generate images Apple would not want you to generate. And just like the user did with Google Gemini generating 1943 German soldiers, I'm very curious how Apple is going to protect itself from people sharing screenshots of Keynote generating images that might be offensive or might be, you know, like the like the Google Gemini one where it's just, you know, gets a lot of heat. There's going to have to be some safeguards on it. And I imagine... Craig Federighi is probably going to have a lengthy part of the keynote to talk about the safety and privacy and security implications of whatever generative AI they're going to be providing. And I have a feeling it's it's probably going to be very limited. You know, I, you go to Dolly, Google Gemini, at least until recently, you can basically type in whatever and it'll generate images. And I, I imagine Apple's going to have some pretty hard rails about what can be generated what can be where you can generate it like i don't think you'll be able to open spotlight and say show me pictures of what you know whatever but i'm just very curious to see how they're going to incorporate this in a quote unquote safe secure private way and one that doesn't make them look foolish or make them look or put them in a position that google is now in a position of yeah have we seen i can't remember if we've ever seen john jen andrea at like WWC, I was I was trying to find out, but he's the head of Apple's machine learning and AI strategy. And I'm like, will this will we start to hear from someone like you'd mentioned Craig Federighi, which made me think about it. I'm like, actually the person that we probably would want to hear from is their AI chief, like the person who is kind of responsible for that. I, I would be surprised if the first thing we see from Apple is what you described, which you can actually do that with with Microsoft's tools, right? In, in right. their pitch is actually not as much, I'm making a slideshow and I need this image, create it for me. It's more like I have a proposal in a Word document. I need to turn it into a presentation. Hey, Copilot, take my document and make me a presentation and it'll just do that for you. And you have to go back and edit it and stuff, but it'll actually go through, summarize it, figure out what your points are, make you bullet points, create backgrounds, do all those types of things, which is fascinating and amazing. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple's looking at something like that, but the truth is I don't think that it's iWork suite is the area that's going to most benefit from these types sure. of things. I think it's going to be making Siri, because if you think about where ChatGPT started, it was like a better chatbot. Now, the next level of that is incorporating it into, into other things. I think we're looking hopefully at like Siri 2.0, where when you talk to Siri, one, it actually understands you and it can actually go out on the web, find the information and then just summarize it for you. Because the most frustrating thing is when you ask Siri something, it's like, here are some things I found on the internet. I'm like, I can do that. I know how to use the internet. I was hoping I could save some time by just asking you and you would just tell me. But Siri very rarely will do that. Instead, it's like, here, 
do just do this. I'm like, what did you actually save me? The, what intelligence is happening here? And sometimes, and so we often will just ask like the, the Nest Home Hub Max that sits in our kitchen and we'll just ask that. And mm-hmm. if you ask that, the advantage that that thing has is it'll just like read you a Wikipedia article if it doesn't know sure. the answer, but at least it's just telling you the answer it found somewhere. So I'm yeah, hoping- You don't have to take another action. Yeah, you don't have to like, yeah, click through Pull and read phone. something. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I'm hoping that that is like where they're focused. And then I wouldn't be surprised to see stuff in the photos app where it's like move distracting, ba- remove distracting backgrounds. Like sure. take out this, sure. you know, lens flare that's that's blocking my son's face or whatever it is, or get rid of this right. person in the background that's, you know, doing something weird while we're all at the beach or something like that. So uh, that's probably yeah. where it will land, I'm hoping. And at Apple, you know, they lift subject from background has been around since iOS 16. You know, so there are already those kind of features. They're not super surfaced. Like the common user might not even know they're there unless they accidentally like tap and hold on a subject yeah. in a photo. But there's also a bunch of TikToks. Like those are some of the most popular TikToks after iOS 16 was like, look, you can lift your dog out of a photo and yep. make it a sticker and iMessage or whatever. Uh, but I will say this is... um. John Giandrea on Apple. This is the Senior Vice President Machine Learning and AI Strategy, which look at that. Apple has the word AI right on their website. So, you know, (laughs) they're not not shying away from it anymore. And I will say if Apple, I also apologize if we've set off everybody's HomePods by saying the the wake word a thousand times in this episode. We'll We'll try to do that again. But if Apple can actually get the chatbot side where the voice assistant is good, they now have an entire network of HomePods, iPhones, iPads, Macs. Like it's going to immediately be better everywhere. Where when you think ChatGPT, while they do have an iPhone app, it's just not built into the devices. And so right. Apple could have a huge uh, head start when it comes to actually deploying the voice assistant across a wide range of users. Where yeah, you can. It's pretty easy to go to ChatGPT, the app or the website, but it will be immediately accessible to all these Apple users very quickly. And yeah, like you're saying, that's probably one of the biggest or most valuable low-hanging fruit for Apple when it comes to these kind of AI features. So I want to talk about this Apple health ring that they might be working on. But before we do, we have a sponsor to thank. This is the wonderful people at Rogue Amoeba who makes Audio Hijack and Loopback. They were our very first sponsor. They've sponsored us the last couple months, and so we are very grateful. So here's what you should do, is if you do anything with audio on your Mac, I'm talking about recording audio, listening to audio, editing audio, you do podcasts, audio hijack, and if you also get it with loopback, it just has incredible tools. Jason and I are using audio hijack right now to do a backup recording of our local audio in an uncompressed wave format, and audio hijack is super easy to use, very user-friendly, you build little audio chains like the one you see here. If you're watching at youtube.com slash at primary tech show, you can record things from audio devices and USB mics or even capture audio from applications. And you can have those record to a single file, record separate tracks. You can even live stream from Audio Hijack. You can transcribe audio as it's being recorded. And if you do some of that live audio, if you do streaming, you can actually apply filters and effects like EQ, compressor, audio or volume boosting all inside Audio Hijack. And if you pair it with Loopback, then it gets super powerful because I have a bunch of devices like video switchers and audio interfaces and other microphones. And sometimes you want that audio to go all kinds of different places. Loopback is the incredible tool for that. Again, you just connect it like little lines. And anyway, it's fun to just build stuff in there. But Audio Hijack is an incredible tool. You have to check it out. This is their final episode sponsoring it for now. But let's have them, let's have them come back. And here's how we do it. The primary tech army out there 
what you do is you go to macaudio.com slash primary tech and you go download Audio Hijack and there's a deal because of an email typo you benefit is you could save $20 instead of 20%. You actually save more. And this is the only deal that this place is around because of a typo. But you could save $20, not 20%, $20 on Audio Hijack or any of the bundles from Rogue Amoeba with the coupon code PRIMARYTECH. This is going to go through the first week of March. So you have one week from when the show launches till the next episode. Everyone go there, get something from Rogue Amoeba. You can do Piezo, which is their simple recording tool. Just one button, you start recording audio. Audio hijack, loopback, save $20 instead of 20%. With uh, The URL is macaudio.com slash primarytech. Promo code primarytech, all one word. And all that, the links and promo code are in the show notes. If you forget, just click the link there and use the promo code. Our deep thanks to Rogue Amoeba for being the launch sponsor and for sponsoring this episode of Primary Technology. I love, I love those guys. They make They're good great. stuff. They're great. They're great stuff. All right, Apple might be making a health or fitness ring. This is Mark Gurman from Bloomberg again, which let's be honest, he's, he's got some accurate uh, reporting, but Apple might be making this ring. And this is alongside the lines of Aura, the Aura ring, O-U-R-A, which I had never even looked into purchasing. And I was like, well, if Apple's going to make one, maybe I should try a different one to compare. Mm. And then I saw this thing is $300. Yeah. It's $300 for a ring. It's a lot of technology packed into a ring. But my goodness, $300, Samsung unveiled that they are making the Galaxy Ring. It is a simplifying wellness strategy. This was at Mobile World Congress, which was going on this week, which is the MWC in Barcelona. Barcelona. I'm Hispanic. I was was trying to to say it with the right accent. (laughs) But Samsung is going to be making this fitness ring. Apple looks to be working on it. I find this curious. You know people that might actually want a ring over something like the Apple Watch? Well, first, I only wanted to mention that the the Aura ring is $300 plus a monthly subscription. Just wanted to be clear about that. But Yes, I forgot about that. I've seen people wear smart rings like this. I am not interested in a ring, but I am very much interested in Apple making a tracking thing that you could wear that doesn't isn't an Apple Watch necessarily, right? Because there are a lot of people who have watches that they love that they'd rather wear, and they, but they still want to track all the fitness things. And they want to be able to do all that. Right. And right now there's like convoluted ways you could do that with one of these rings or that kind of thing. So if Apple were to actually make it, I do think that that would be great because if, if the... If your primary use case for the Apple Watch is the fitness tracking, you may want something different instead and to be able to have something more low profile, which is really the thing. I think it'd be great. You just make a make a band, like a bracelet type thing you could wear that still had a lot of that. Basically yeah. an Apple Watch with the sensors, but without the screen kind of a thing. I think a lot of people would wear that. I'm guessing that they, they feel like they have to distinguish it from the Apple watch itself. And so that's why they're looking at a ring instead. I think, I, right. so I, I think there's definitely a market for this. I, you know, Samsung's making one. There's the aura. I did. I think Amazon had something at some point. And so I don't, I don't know. There's I also just, a super, superhuman. Is that okay. one? The super, superhuman ring. I don't know. Superhuman is an email client that I have used. So I don't know if it's the same thing. Oh, so, yeah. You're, I'm sorry. Ultra human. Oh, well, hold on. <laughs> 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 is there a copyright issue there i don't know ultra but human. like i feel like we went from superhuman to ultra human i don't even this escalated quickly <laughs> uh ultra human same price 350 dollars. and i did i forgot about the subscription plan so i don't know if the ultra human ring has a subscription plan but or ring it's six dollars usd a month which is not a lot but it's also kind of a lot for fitness tracking where 
if Apple releases a ring like this, it probably won't have a monthly subscription, just like you don't pay for that with the Apple Watch. Right. The cost was in the watch itself. I find this curious. I know that when I, I mean, I wear Apple Watch every day, and as much as it's kind of whatever asinine, I like getting the, you met your stand goal every day this week, and you met your move goal every day this week. And like you were saying, people who have nice watches that they might want to wear on a night out or just not wear a watch on a certain day, then you would like miss your day. Like you miss your streak. I know a lot of people like doing the activity streaks, you know, just Apple rewards you with those little things and it's fun to do. Or sometimes you just want to know, like, have I moved, you know, the amount I want to move every day. Right. So I think it's interesting. I, I don't know if I should get one of these to try, but it's kind of expensive. Have you ever tried any of these rings? Uh, I've never tried any of them. I I think, I mean, I would if, especially if Apple made one, because I think you're right. Sure. I think the other piece you'd mentioned, and I, we both talked about the fact that people have watches that they like to wear. I, I have a nice mechanical watch that I'd prefer to wear sometimes. But part of the reason isn't just that I think that watch looks nicer. There are times when I would prefer to not be quite so connected, right? My watch right. is like a primary way of, of me getting notifications. And I'm pretty like religious about minimizing the types of notifications. But there are times when I just want to feel more disconnected and looking yeah. at my watch in, in, you know, looking at my Apple watch, it's pretty easy to get sucked into like, oh, here's what's on my calendar. Here's whatever. Yeah. If I'm wearing a normal watch, but I could still get all of those tracking benefits. I think that'd be great. So I, I think Apple should make something. If it's a ring, fine. If it's a band or a bracelet, fine. Just, I think that it, yeah. I think the Apple watch could use, and of course it's still going to be $300, but I feel, I feel like the Apple watch could use a $129 to $179 fitness tracking thing that isn't a full-fledged watch. That That's what I think. Yeah. I'm curious what they'll do with discrepancies between the tracking, like, Mm. because one of the things these rings do is fitness tracking, but also like sleep tracking. And so I'm curious, like when there's a discrepancy where the watch thinks you slept this much, but the ring this much, how Apple's going to square that circle. But yeah, Yeah. interesting. Uh, Also, just real quick, I'll throw this in there because you had mentioned it, but that Apple might be headed into an antitrust case. We're not sure what about, but can you tell me what this <laughs> last ditch bid means? Well, okay, so the I think I think it's pretty well accepted that Apple is going to be sued uh, over antitrust compl- an antitrust complaint from the DOJ. The most recent development is that Bloomberg was reporting that they had had what what is called a last rights meeting. Sounds very ominous. Sounds intense. That's but intense. I but I mean, and I'm not an attorney, so I only know what I've read. So it's all on the internet. So just take that for whatever it's worth. But my understanding is that the way that this type of a thing, an antitrust case, works with a company like this is that after the at some point towards the end of the investigation, the DOJ will take that information and go to the company and they have a meeting. And essentially, it's like convince us not to sue you. Right. That's like the last step before you get sued. And maybe sometimes you maybe sometimes it works. I don't know. Apparently, maybe we just never hear about those. But the point right. is that the report here is that Apple's had that meeting, right? So they've had the last rights meeting, which means that if a lawsuit is coming, it could be coming relatively soon. Um, right. Essentially, this is more of the same type of complaint that we've seen. I think one of the big uh, triggers of this is, for example, Spotify, right? Who has complained many right. times that they have to pay Apple a commission in order to compete with a service that Apple also offers, right? Apple Music right. and Spotify. And if if Apple is vulnerable anywhere, I think that it's there because mm. it's very hard to say, like Spotify's point is, 
we either have to charge people more, which is not fair, in order to make the same amount of money as Apple, or we have to charge the same thing as Apple and then we make less. And the only reason that that's the case is because they also own the platform. And I think that the that's probably the area where they're more vulnerable than things like, um, you know, the the Epic Games case where Epic was like, well, we want to be the alternative app store. And essentially Apple won that because it's like you, it's a closed system. You knew what the you knew what the deal was going in, and, right. and so you're, that's not going to be the case. So, I, I think I think it's very likely that we'll see something soon. I don't know how how likely it is that it will result in anything. So far, the government has not been very successful at all in regulating big tech companies. They just haven't. Like you know, the FTC has lost yeah. cases. The, it's, it just hasn't right. gone very well. So. I don't think this is an existential threat to Apple. For example, with Google and their antitrust case, the the risk is like saying you have to separate your ad business from your search business, which would essentially kill Google. I don't think that the government's going to come in and be like, you have to separate the app store into a different company or something like, I don't know. Right, right. So it's a different animal, but I think it'll be interesting to follow. Is, is it a chance that because there's now precedent set in the EU with the Digital Markets Act and Apple having to allow those third-party app marketplaces that this could be the beginning of that path towards third-party app marketplaces happening here in the U.S.? Is that possible? I think so. I think the Justice Department is absolutely paying attention <laughs> to what's happening in the sure, EU. Sure. And But the Justice Department doesn't get to make laws, right? They just get to sue people if they think they've broken those laws. And so I think... But I think that the pressure that they could put on Apple is to adopt some of those changes worldwide at the risk of being sued. But Apple's... Like so far, their operating procedure seems to be like, nope, we aren't going to do it until you force us to, right? They don't sure. take pressure very well, and they just do it when they're when when it's like, okay, well, we'll follow the law. If you make it a law, we'll do it. But until then, we will just fight you every step of the way. Um, I, so I don't, right. I don't know. I think that I personally think that what Apple did in the EU, it probably should just adopt some version of that worldwide, and it would earn it enough goodwill among its users and among regulators. I imagine that the legal theory is if you start to do that and it doesn't satisfy lawmakers, they'll just take the next step, right? They're just going right, to keep right. like pushing it down. And so I don't, I don't know. I, like I said, I don't think Apple's like at some kind of ex- existential risk here. I do right. think that this is, this is coming. We can't really be sure what it will mean until we actually see what the lawsuit is. And I think the most exciting part of it, to be honest, is the most exciting part of the Google case was all of the things that we learned about like Apple's search deal and all of the different things going on and Microsoft was there. And like, that's the part that we should be excited about is with that coming out. We are going to learn so many things about what Craig Craig Federighi has for breakfast every day and where, you know, where Jaws plays pickleball. I mean, come on. A hundred percent he plays pickleball. (laughs) And that, that is always the interesting part of these cases when you see these emails between the Apple execs. And I feel like there was one recently it was like Craig Federighi and Eddie Q, Phil Schiller or something. And there were like a couple of typos in the email. And it was just like, these are real people too. Yep. Yep. These people have typos in their emails too. And they don't give enough care to fix it before they send. Well, it. they don't expect that they're ever going to end up in a court case, but you should just, know, if you work like, at a company, assume everything that you write will eventually end up in a court case and discover uh, every Slack conversation. That's terrible. Yep. Uh, real quick. Sonos is rumored to launch its high end headphones. It's a little delayed. It was going to be coming in May this year, but now it looks like June. This was Mark Gurman from Bloomberg. Again, this is now covered in the verge, but $450 for high end headphones from Sonos. This would be taking on the likes of like the Sony XM5s and of course Apple's AirPods Max, which hasn't been updated in years. Let's just be clear about that. Still has yeah. lightning. Still, I have mine right over here. I got my AirPods Max right over here. 
They're sitting in my Waterfield case. I'm going to make a confession. I use these almost as much as my Apple Vision Pro, which is to say almost never. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> these AirPods, they're probably dead right now because A, lightning. B, AirPods Pro 2 are just so good. And like, I've seen a couple of people using these with AirPods or uh, Apple Vision Pro now, like on planes and stuff. I can't imagine that's super comfortable, like having big over-the-ear headphones with it. But anyway, I'm a huge Sonos person. Like I, I have Sonos all over the house. I have the Arc, the Beam, the Sub, Sub Mini. I have Aero 300s. I got Sonos 1SLs outside. I got the Move and Move 2. Like, I love all Sonos stuff. So I'm very curious. This is going to be Sonos's first pair of headphones, uh, probably coming out in June. So I'm definitely going to be getting one of these to try. Let me say this first. I have a thought about yeah. the Sonos thing, but I just want to say to you, Stephen, please never wear your AirPods and your Vision Pro on an airplane because you are simply telling the world that you are the type of person that they should follow to your hotel and just rob you, okay? <laughs> just, just don't. Please don't be that person. I, you know, but as far as the Sonos thing is concerned, I, I just don't understand why anyone thinks that what the world really needs is another pair of $450 Bluetooth headphones. There are <laughs> so many of them because they're Sonos. Well, so like for me, I, I like Apple's AirPods Max fine. Like they sound really good, obviously because it's Apple, like ecosystem wise, they work really well, but they're, they're heavy they don't fold well. And so I think there's still a place for another pair of over-the-ear headphones. I know Bose Quiet Comfort is like, a, you know, everyone loves those. People who travel often, I think, go to those a lot. The Sony XM5s, I never bought a pair because I'm like, it's not going to work with the ecosystem. Now, this pair of Sonos headphones is not going to be as seamless as AirPods. So that probably won't be a benefit. It's not even going to be like Beats, you know. This is just going to probably have to connect via Bluetooth to all your Apple devices. But maybe something with the Sonos app Maybe there'll be something fancy there. I don't know. You know but, what's actually great about the Sonys? I have the Sony XM4s and the XM5s, and I have a pair oh. of Bowers and Wilkins PX7s maybe that I really, oh, really those like. Are nice. Those are my favorites, yeah. actually. But the nice thing about the Sonys is, this is true of the Bowers and Wilkins, you can pair them with two devices, okay? Right. And then you can switch back and forth, but you know what never happens? It Auto never switching. happens that your child picks up your you know, your iPad and starts playing Minecraft and all of a sudden the podcast you were listening to just sounds like weird creatures scratching around digging holes in the ground, which happens to me all the time with my AirPods. Like there See? is actually an advantage of taking one half of a step out of the ecosystem, but still oh, getting the benefit of switching back and forth. So I can have it I can have them paired to my phone and have it paired to my laptop. And if I want to listen to Spotify on one or the other, or whatever it is I want to do, that's fine. But they are both of those headphones, the Sonys and the Bowers and Wilkins are about $100 less expensive than the AirPods Max were. They sound just yeah. as good. The AirPods Max were very comfortable. That I will give them. But they were a little bit heavy. They weren't great if you're sleeping on a long flight because like they're just yeah, thick yeah. enough and all that kind of stuff. So that's when I say when I when I ask, does the world need... There are so many good... And I understand Sonos probably has to do it because yes, they're trying to build an ecosystem and become exactly. the premium brand for this. But I just, man, stick to what you're good at, the speakers, man. Speakers are great. Speakers are great. All right, we're going to have to go like lightning round super fast right. through these. Reddit heading towards an IPO. Tell me, what, what do we need to know about this? The only thing you need to know about this is Reddit has never made money. The only person who's ever made money from Reddit is its CEO, Steve Huffman, who made $198 million last year, I think it was, and the company lost $90 million. Now, I'm not great at math, but I do think they could have solved their 
their deficit very simply. Like there's a super easy way to do it. You <laughs> could have cut his pay in half and he still would have made a hundred million dollars and the company could have turned a profit, right? But they made a big deal with Google, a $60 million a year deal with Google to license Reddit's content, which is interesting because Reddit doesn't make any content. It makes zero content. Right. The people who use Reddit users. make it, and but Reddit is going to sell it off. And there has never been a company that has been more reliant on the goodwill of its users than Reddit. And Reddit right now does not have the goodwill of its users and it's about to go public. And so I think I think that it will probably, hmm, gosh, I feel like such a doomsayer, but I think this won't be good for Reddit. Also, also, you know, during COVID, uh, there was a dust up between Alexis O'Hannon, who is the co-founder, and Steve right. Huffman, the other co-founder, and O'Hannon left. And in the filing that describes the history of the company, he's not mentioned one time. They just like Whoa. completely erased him from the history of the company when they released their their their. I think it's called an S one document. So yeah, wow, talk about revisionist history. It's oh very God. interesting. So that's wild. That's all you need to know is it's not going to go well, and the CEO is making a lot of money. Although, okay, the one other thing that's worth knowing, and I'm this is like I'm giving you enough information so that if someone someone were to ask you about this at a party, which if that happens, you should probably leave the party. But if that happens and you want to stick around and you want to feel like you know something. The other thing to know is that the biggest shareholder in Reddit is none other than OpenAI CEO Sam Alt. So really? Yep. That's interesting. Yep. So okay. All right. All right. Thank you for the interesting tidbit. Uh, rest in peace, Apollo. They should have. Yeah. You know, as soon as they, as soon as they stopped the third party app, thing. I should have worn my Apollo shirt today. I have one. I, I have oh, an Apollo. Oh, you have shirt, an Apollo so. shirt. Oh. Yeah. I, I'm not really on Reddit. My but. kids think it's a Teletubby, but it's not. It's it's Apollo. <laughs> I could see that. Uh, I do want to mention so. Threads, this is a TechCrunch article where it says Threads is winding the gap from X with triple the daily downloads on iOS. Now, downloads of an app is not user activity on the app, but I want to pair this story with Threads being downloaded more on iPhone than X for the app. John Gruber, he did a little poll about the Fine Woven case, which I mentioned before, and he wanted to, he looked at the number of votes per platform. He posted the same poll on Twitter, Threads, and Mastodon. And even he still says Twitter slash X. I mean, I feel like this of of all the rebrands in history that didn't stick, X has got to be the one. It just is yeah. not. Well, sticking. and before you go on, it's funny because he has a footnote where he talks about that, and he's like, "I'm eventually I planned to call it X, but I'm not going to do that until they stop using the Twitter.com domain for all of the all of the posts." Right. And so once they do that, he's like, I'll start calling it X. And he's like this at this point, though, it seems like everyone, including Elon Musk, has like given up on the idea that it's actually going to become X. So uh, go on. I'm sorry. I just thought that was a yeah, very fa- that was a great little tidbit he added. So also, so, like I still use the Mac app and the Mac app is still the Twitter app with the bird icon. Yep. And all the terminology is still retweet tweet a post to like i mean i don't even know if they're doing anything with the mac app anymore but i still use it i mean it still functions Shh, don't so, say anything they don't actually know that it oh, exists yeah, sh- and you just might have ruined it for a lot of people the whole team i mean honestly probably got laid off and then right they just didn't do anything with it but yep. anyway so he was basically john gruber saying that the activity on x even though i think his following is much larger there was very similar to the activity on threads basically he got 3300 votes in his poll on x 2800 on threads and then 916 on Mastodon, which if you combine the Mastodon threads audience overtakes X. Anyway, it seems like I think anecdotally and then seeing this information from TechCrunch that threads is slowly surpassing X as the predominant microblogging platform, if you want to use that old term. 
And I will say, just just to mention it one more time, during the big game, as, as I was watching it, and, and typically what you do during big events like sporting events or the Grammys, Academy Awards, whatever, 100% of the time, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have been going to Twitter to see what the conversation was about. And I feel like Threads did a better job of that real-time commentary and being on Threads, it didn't feel like I was missing everything like it did last summer. Because last summer mm-hmm. when Threads launched, whenever there was a big event, like world event, world news or sporting event, it was just like crickets. Like you just didn't yeah. see any posts about the event. And I will say they are getting better at that algorithm. They just launched the ability to save threads, like bookmark threads. That's now open to everyone, I believe. They're adding more features all the time. So I'm 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 bullish on threads. Yeah, I think that it has a chance of becoming the next place or becoming the it, like useful for people like you and I who like the audience of people who are on there are more the people I know personally and then people I'm connected to professionally as a, so the audience is not nearly as large, but it's, you know, it's essentially it starts with your Instagram following, which was a very mm-hmm. different group of social network connections right. than what Twitter used to be. So I, you know, the most interesting thing to me about Gruber's little poll and analysis of it is that you think about it, like Gruber has something like, I don't know, 350,000 followers on Twitter. So like one, you know, 1% of them responded to this poll, but on threads, he has about 35,000. So it's closer to 10% of them. So it does seem like there's a whole lot more engagement, at least among his audience, right? You would not have expect those numbers to be so close when the audience is a factor of 10, right? Or a, a difference of 10 apart. And so that, that is an interesting thing. And he, talked about how when he ran a poll last year uh, that the Mastodon numbers were huge at the time and those have since come way, way, way down. And and so it seems as though, you know, maybe those people have migrated, uh, you know, to threads because threads really wasn't a thing at the time. So, so I, I think that, I like threads. I, I put yeah, it on my home screen, my my first home screen, so I could force myself to start using it. And I do find that if I just want to quickly post something, I'm more likely to put it there. Uh, yeah. I do still post some things on X because the reality is I still have a much larger audience there. And so it's like, I post it on threads. I'm like, but I actually want some people to read it. So I'll also post it over on Twitter. I, I still cross post on both. And, you know, I feel like even recently there's been still people announcing like leaving X finally, all this kind of stuff. But also like, my following is still growing on X, which is weird. Like I'm probably going to hit 10,000 followers this year if I keep posting on it. So it seems like there are still people discovering accounts, maybe even still people joining, but I don't know. I'm I'm not optimistic about the future of X, but I'm still there because there's, there's still people there and there's still people that I follow and like seeing post on there. So anyway, all right, we got to do some quick follow-up, some corrections. (laughs) And, and then, uh, because honestly, we were we were incorrect last week when we were talking about betting apps. Here in the U.S., there are apps you can download on the iPhone and place bets on things. FanDuel being one. Yep. DraftKings is there. The caveat, and really what I kind of in my mind was saying when I think, will Apple do betting, quote unquote, is A, right now it's only available in certain states here in the U.S. So they have a list here like on the... FanDuel app, it tells you all the states it's available in, which maybe a dozen, uh, not Florida. The, you can do it in Michigan, apparently. Yeah. So you can do it. I downloaded it even. I have not even oh. created an account though, but I did download it because I was okay. like, I, I saw somebody responded and be like, oh, you can do this in the UK. And then I thought, FanDuel 
DraftKings. I wonder, do they actually have apps? And then I was like, oh, I found them in the app store. And I'm like, I'll just download them and see what happens. And you absolutely can bet on sports on your iPhone. But the difference is Apple has nothing to do with that, right? They're not collecting bets. And and that's like when we were talking about Apple Sports last week, which I think will be in the future, would Apple allow basically you to place bets with their in-app payment system, meaning the card that you have connected to your Apple ID and iTunes account and actually do an in-app purchase to place a bet. That is the thing that, A, Apple will then get 30% of that <laughs> of that uh, transaction. But that's kind of the will Apple do betting in my mind. Like that's what I meant. But I was definitely incorrect. Like you can place bets all day in uh, in this. I actually had no idea what a sports book was until my wife and I went to Vegas for a podcast conference and the hotel we were in, it was like, what the biggest sports book in Vegas. And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. even know what that means. Is that like, uh, like a physical book? Is this like war and peace? It's and a- like we go bar with a bunch yeah. of televisions <laughs> yeah we so we go to the sports book and i'm like wow this is a wall of tvs yep. oh you place bets got it yep. so sports book is code for sports betting yeah got it yeah got it there you go also you were correct last week in follow-up when you were saying that microsoft is not going to be doing the cloud gaming app which in iOS 17.4 makers can do native cloud gaming applications and launch them in the ios app store Microsoft is not planning on doing that. This is an article from Mac Rumors and Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer said in an interview with The Verge that because there is not room for monetization, meaning they don't want to have Apple take the cut of maybe in-app purchases or whatever, that they're not going to be doing a first, you know, a cloud gaming app available in the App Store, which I think is unfortunate. I mean, I know my kids actually use the cloud gaming app and it's pretty good. Well, it's not an app. They just, you know, do the website, add it to the right. home screen, progressive web apps like we talked about last week. But yeah, you you were correct. No no Xbox Cloud Gaming, even in 17.4. That's yep. things. Anyway, last follow-up before we get to our personal tech of coffee, which is a very important personal technology. Very important. I, very important. I do want to mention Todd Page, who gave his five-star review last week. And I know he listens to movies on the side. And he listens now to primary technology. Hey, what is up, Todd? He was asking. He wants... When he gets into his car and turns his car on, things automatically play. And sometimes if he's, you know, the, the volume is down or maybe the input on his car is, is uh, different, then he doesn't know it's playing. And so what can you do to make sure things don't play in your car automatically? And, you know, some cars, they'll just have it start playing no matter what. And so for this, you can create a shortcut. So yes, this is uh, the first shortcuts corner for primary tech. Go to the automations tab in the shortcuts app. It's on the bottom, that middle tab. And you can create a new automation for when CarPlay connects. So if you have a car with CarPlay, CarPlay can be a trigger. Or if you just have kind of like a normal Bluetooth connection to your car, choose the Bluetooth step option. And then I just tapped Wi-Fi by accident. Choose the Bluetooth. And then you can choose is connected. So when Bluetooth is connected, and then you can choose the device. Unfortunately, Apple Watch is not one of these devices. I've had a lot of people ask, can I trigger... uh, a a shortcut when the Apple Watch connects to my phone or disconnects. You can't because for some reason, Apple doesn't surface that as a Bluetooth device, which is weird. But anyway, you can choose your AirPods. You can choose game controllers, speakers or whatever, but your car will also appear here. This W113 is actually my CarPlay device. So choose your car. And then when the step you do, have it run immediately. So the shortcut is when Bluetooth device is connected, run immediately. I need to turn my brightness down even more, apparently. That's what it looks like. That's how you want to set up your automation. And then you go next, and you can do a new blank automation. And just 
use one action, the pause media. You can just pause the media, and I'll try and find exactly what the action is called. But it is, you can change playback destination, find music, skip backwards, play. I don't know why I can't find it just yet. Anyway, there is an action, which is basically pause or play. And that's just add that action to this automation. This way, whenever your phone connects to your car via Bluetooth, pause it, and then it won't automatically play and you're not hearing it. You just took us right to the edge and you just left us hanging there with whatever the most important possible (laughs) piece of information is. But there is an Apple support. There's an Apple support document too, or part of their forums or something that explains that that kind of walked through that whole shortcut too. Do you remember though that there was a time when there was a song you could download from iTunes that was like called AAA Very Good Song and it was just 10 minutes of silence so that you could avoid this very problem so that when it started playing the first song in your playlist, it would be be just silence. And I tried to make that. So in our one car, we don't have CarPlay. It just connects via Bluetooth. And if you were listening to something, it will automatically jump over and it'll start playing it through the car speakers. In our other vehicle, we have CarPlay. And if you plug it in, it won't necessarily just start playing something. So there must be some way that the manufacturer could, although that doesn't really make sense because CarPlay is just screen mirroring of your iPhone essentially. So, but there is something, although we don't have Bluetooth. I wonder if it must be a Bluetooth thing because we have wired CarPlay. So yeah, so it's unfortunate that that happens, but I will tell you that there is a song you can download that's just 10 minutes of silence if it really bothers you. And because they named it A-A-A-A-A, so, right, oh, he right. found it. He figured it I out. I found it. It's it's the play pause action. And so you just do pause on iPhone and it will pause your media. Now, if in the event it takes a few seconds for the media to start auto playing because it connects to your car and then after a few seconds, it'll start playing music automatic, automatically, add a wait action and maybe wait, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds, however long it takes for your car to, to register it. Then you can have a wait command and then pause. And now whenever your phone connects to your car, Bluetooth, it'll wait a few seconds and then pause if anything starts playing automatically. Boom, I did it. Thanks for for buying me a few seconds there. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. (laughs) So I could build it. All right, personal tech. We're going to talk about coffee. And then in the bonus episode, we're going to talk about streaming services. I I used to have a very fussy way to make coffee because A... I drink cold coffee. I drink you, cold brew. You drink brew. cold brew. There, you don't just like make coffee, let it sit out for six <laughs> hours and then drink it. I just wanted to be clear. <laughs> no, no, no. I drink cold brew coffee. Uh, A, because there's more caffeine per like whatever. The the caffeine concentration <laughs> is higher. I can also drink it faster because I just need it like an IV, like right in my arm. That's where I need the caffeine. Okay. The caffeine. And um, so, oh, hey, you know what? Here it is right here. This is my yeah. cold brew coffee this morning. I used to have a very fussy way to make it, which was the UKEG Nitro Cold Brew Maker. I'm going to share this image. I'll put the link in the show notes. And also, uh, we complained about this on the last episode, but Apple Podcast cuts off the show notes. And I can tell you, there's going to be a lot of links in today's show notes. So if you want all the links, go to primarytech.fm. But this is the uh, cold brew coffee maker I used to use. And you would basically put some coffee beans in this little filter bag. You put it in the keg. You leave it overnight. Take the beans out. Put a little more water in. And then you use a nitrogen cartridge in the cap. And you inject the nitrogen. You shake the bottle. The first time I ever shook the bottle, I was so scared. I thought it was going to blow up in my face. You shake the bottle. (laughs) And then you get nitro cold brew. And if you use good beans and you do the whole process well, it tastes great. It's it's amazing. That was my fussy (laughs) way to do it. Now, I need... I have. A limited amount of time. And so I buy Chameleon Cold Brew Coffee, which is a concentrated cold brew, meaning an even higher caffeine content that you're supposed to 
dilute with water. I do not. I drink it straight. <laughs> and uh, I get the most caffeine. I hit the whatever the medical recommendation max caffeine per day. I definitely hit that, and if, if not more, this is the uh, chameleon cold brew that I that I drink. Concentrated cold brew. Wait, so Same you day. don't even mi- you don't even mix the concentrate with water at all? No, <laughs> I know it's not great. I mean, so are you drinking I put half like and half in it? But how much you're drinking that whole thing of just concentrate? Listen, relax, okay. I got a lot of stuff to get done, okay. <laughs> There's only one way this podcast gets published in a matter of two hours after we're done recording. <laughs> he's like it's, Sonic. It's he's just like speed doing everything. <laughs> I That's don't right. think right. that I'm not a doctor either. We've established that I'm pretty much not, but I'm just, I feel like there's it's a lot probably of something. It's wrong. a lot of caffeine. See, and the only reason I'm astonished is I thought that I, there was no way you consumed more <laughs> caffeine to me though. I'm going to after first say the way you described that whole nitro thing makes me feel like I was watching a scene from tenant where they're like trying to like, you know, put together the, pieces of the algorithm or whatever like just yes. i don't even were you building a turnstile you're gonna go back in time that's how much caffeine you have you just that's, go right back i have time. so much caffeine my mind is going so fast it's moving backwards that's right oh my so uh, yeah that's my coffee routine how about you <laughs> so mine is actually a lot simpler except that we have multiple ways that we make coffee in our house depending on what's happening so my uh-huh. preferred way so my my favorite way to make coffee is with an aeropress i don't know if you're familiar with the aeropress it just looks like something that fell off the back of your muffler it's just two plastic pieces you put a filter in there you put very finely ground coffee and essentially you're making an americano right so you 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 put the coffee in the in the thing you and then you put about two ounces of hot hot water in there you plunge it down over about 45 seconds to a minute you get it into your cup and then you add hot water to make it into basically a cup yeah it's just a plastic thing it's like the least elegant looking thing but that to me is my favorite it makes the best coffee and it's nice because that it's so all you need is something to make hot water so we take this to hotels we do it like basically everywhere because you can microwave water to make it hot it works really well so that's my favorite however most of the time i'm too lazy to get all the pieces out and to do it all and then to clean it up afterwards so we have a breville espresso machine sitting on our counter real nice espresso machine so most of the time i just make americanos from that right you pull a shot makes makes the espresso and then uh, we have like this like KitchenAid hot water kettle that we use to pour in there. So I don't drink like lattes or that kind of stuff from it. I just like an Americano. And so that's every morning I make two Americanos, one for my wife, one for myself. Although it's hard to call hers an Americano because she puts enough creamer and flavoring in it too. Basically, it looks a lot like yours, to be honest, when it's done. See, see, I diluted with half and half. I diluted with half and half. <laughs> Wait, so, so that's, what, that's what? brevet. So you drink yours brevet. That's if you make yeah. a latte with, with half and half, yeah. which by the way, is amazing it's it's 1300 calories probably just for like that tiny little thing but it tastes amazing so and then the third way oh sorry go ahead which breville do you have because there's a lot of models here we have not the one with the circle uh meter things on it it's like the it's i think it's the middle version hold on i'll tell you right now well i'm pulling up the website there's these are a lot of machines we have the one right there that says no we do not have the oracle because we did not spend it hang on one second (laughs) there's the cafe roma yeah. Hang on, Breville. Scroll down a little bit. This is such good radio right now that we're uh, yeah, that's right. You just go to youtubecom slash at primary tech show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We are really making it so that you should absolutely be watching this on YouTube for yeah. us. And so please listen to this, leave us a review, then go watch it on YouTube, and then leave us a comment because we are just, so vain. <laughs> cons- consume to- each episode twice. Once that's what I was just going to say. We really need once by video. Twice. Exactly. Oh. Are any of these yours then? Are these all newer models? Mm, no, so ours looks like the one that said Oracle, 
go up a little bit. Oh, okay. It looked like that one that said Oracle there, which is just a little bit but we did not spend i know we didn't uh, oh it's the barista pro there we go it's the barista pro that's the one we have okay yep right there in the middle oh wow that's a, that's so, a nice machine it's a very nice machine and it makes very good espresso and then we pour hot water in it to make it into an americano so we make two of those every day and then uh, ours is not blue um but then the other thing we yep there we go ours is silver looks just like that and it's nice because you yeah. can you can program things like how how long you know how much espresso do you want it to grind how finely do you want it to be grind how do you want a double shot single shot whatever so it's great and then the last thing i was going to say is we spend a lot of time leaving the house quickly to go to sporting events and stuff so we also sure. have a keurig sitting on the counter so sometimes oh, if, we're, okay, de- if okay. we're just desperate we just pop in a keurig so we even have See, the keurig pods uh auto shipped to us from from keurig actually this they're just the starbucks sumatra which are very good and so they're good dark yeah, crust good. so there you go that's what we do do you so do you do all this fancy like stuff with yeah. the espresso beans dampen yeah. tamper whatever yeah, so you have to well you have to because you have to you have to create pressure yeah, yeah. so that the water can go through there. So yeah. I mean it's it's great. We we buy <clears throat> there's a local market here that brews they're not brews that roast their own coffee roast beans. Me. We buy them from there. Yeah. They're just a dark roast and they're they're great for that. And it's 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 not actually that hard. It it's it actually takes me less time than the than the uh Aeropress would. So it's great. How many shots? How many shots do you put in a thing? I just do a double, but I mean I'm using this like I don't know how many. Oh, my battery's dead. Ember, but I'm using this Ember, Ember mug, and it's probably only eight. It's, this is a small yeah. one, so like it's it's yeah. perfect, the perfect amount. So how many shots do you have throughout a day? Oh, how mm-hmm. many? So I'll have at least three americanos a day. So it's, three so double th- shot americanos. Probably yeah, throughout the day. Yeah. Okay, now hold on a second. How much caffeine is it? Are you asking shot? Chat GPT because there's 63. Let's see, a 63 milligrams of caffeine per one ounce shot. So if you do two shots, that's a hundred. And 20 milligrams of caffeine. If you have three in a day, now you're at 360. And I, I try to cap mine around 400 milligrams of caffeine with the concentrate because I just do one concentrate a day. So I, I'm oh. saying we're pretty, I think we're even. I think yeah, you're just getting yours all at once. I'm spreading exactly. it out throughout the whole day. I'm on a time, you know, a long extended release <laughs> caffeine <laughs> drip. Exactly. You're just like, exactly. open the floodgates. I'm just going to stick my mouth right on this hose and I'm just going to take it all in. I will, I will be honest. Sometimes I have a Zevia energy, which is another 50 milligrams of caffeine in the <laughs> afternoons. But have you been to Panera and seen the warning signs that they have about their charged drinks? So they have some kind of like, lemonade or some kind of a drink some drinks that have like they're caffeinated but they're not the type of drink you'd think would be caffeinated and they have warning signs everywhere because i think what they're worried about is that people will order three of these because they don't expect (laughs) it to have caffeine in them and just drink them all because they're delicious and so they actually have warnings about them it's kind of like i i was at starbucks one time and i used to order sugar-free like i would order like a caramel latte but i'd order a sugar-free one or a frappuccino sugar-free and i didn't realize that this isn't bonus content so i should be careful but i didn't realize that sugar Sugar free, the syrups, the sweetener right. that they use is a laxative, and I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> I think we're safe. We don't. We're not going to have an explicit tag for that. I think you're okay. So this is the uh, listen. I'm including all these links in the show notes, which is why I need to go to PrimaryTech.fm. But even the Panera Bread website about their charged drinks, which they say 124 to 200 milligrams. Which yeah, if you had two of those, now you're in our territory. Yeah. <laughs> like, 400 milligrams a day and we're gonna have to do another personal tech or bonus episode on how you just said caramel but we won't have to go what did i say caramel Caramel. said caramel you can listen back you can listen back to the episode you don't have to believe me that's not how you say it you don't say caramel well no that's not how you spell it there's another a in there there are a lot of words 
that are not said the way they're spelled. <laughs> I always, th- all right, last thing, and then we're going to go to the bonus episodes. You're thinking I, uh, of George Bush with like nuclear. That's like the, the that's like the well, cardinal I, example. I say that incorrect all the time. Every time <laughs> I say donkey and nuclear, I, I get weird <laughs> <Strategery>. looks. Strategery. <laughs> The one, the one word I, when I was a kid, I played Pokemon on my Game Boy, and one of the attacks you could do in Pokemon was the Mind Attack. P S Y, uh, I think C H I C. I don't know. However you say that. So, but growing up, I never like heard that word out loud, and so I always thought the attack name was Physic because I knew physical. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew that word, and so I was like, oh, this is the Physic attack. And then eventually, with I your mind. Say, <laughs> <laughs> with the way I was like, with your mind. And every time I heard someone say psychic, and I was like, oh, shoot. I've been saying that word in my mind wrong my entire life. I just want uh, to say caramel or caramel are both correct. According to dictionary.com, it has the phonetic dictionary. spellings of That's them. That's AI generated. That's an AI generated phonetic spelling. <laughs> I mean, it's on the internet, so it has to be it's, true. It's on the internet. So it's going to be the internet. All right. We're going to have a bonus episode. We're going to talk about streaming services, the current state, some of our favorites, what we're using. But. If you hadn't yet, don't forget, write a review and five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen elsewhere, you could tell us Google Maps versus Apple Maps. We want to do that next week on our personal text segment. Or subscribe to the YouTube channel. No, not or. And and go over to youtube.com slash at primary tech show the goal there a thousand subscribers let's try to get to a thousand subscribers we're almost at 500 now thank you to all those who have subscribed and who watch over there and uh, i think i'm actually going to put i've been doing shorts i've been doing lots of shorts on the youtube channel i think i'm going to actually maybe put some segments as like other long form videos like oh, our great. segment today on uh the open ai google gemini stuff you know maybe do that so anyway comment on those videos we're over there as well thanks for listening thanks for watching and we'll catch you next week